0: Today's Wednesday. It is uh, July 29th, two thousand twenty, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this that we have this evening, and we pray for clarity and wisdom as we approach the scriptures this evening. We pray that we will come to understand our our destiny, the hope that is set before us so that we will be able to understand what we're doing down here and and ensure that we walk worthy of the calling that we have received. We thank you for this calling. And our gratitude is also going to be a part of our diligence in seeking you. So we thank you for, for choosing us to be in Christ before the creation of the world, and we will continually be grateful as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as you know, we are in the midst of uh, Romans eight seventeen. So we. Covered some last week uh, where we took some time to try to understand what is the hope of our calling. So, hopefully, that did give us some more clarity on what inheritance was and uh, which, which it says is the hope of our calling. And, and hopefully, you, get, you, you gained a better perspective on what God called you to from eternity past. How special that is so i'm going to pause and uh, respect the q a period this time up front so that we can see if there are any questions around anything we discussed uh, last week or any questions you might have so i'm going to pause before we proceed All right. Sounds like it's quiet. Or if you asked, you did ask a question, but you you were on mute either way. Just want to make sure we're good. Yeah, I didn't have a question. I don't have my... Um, normally, I would have my computer turned on, but I, I don't.
1: And I don't remember
0: if I had written down. I'm, I probably had a questionnaire, but I don't remember what it was. So, we covered quite a bit last week, nope, no problem, no problem about that, but we, we did cover quite a bit, so I just want to make sure everybody feels comfortable with all the things we discuss, or what, what are your comments, thoughts, if you don't have questions, if, if there's anything you'd like to discuss, we can do it, this is the time to do it right now. I think I asked the question, uh, at the end of, uh, our teaching last week, and I think that you're going to expound on it today, so, uh, I don't think I, uh, need to go further and it. it was about, um, overcomers, um, or esteemed losers and winners, um, those that have taken up their cross and followed the Lord, as opposed to those who have just taken up and believed in salvation, there's still some. So, I think this is we're going to go into it right now. So, yeah, I mean, just there. But that is a great question, that. great question, and we're, we're going to head right into that. Uh, that is going to be our, our uh, subject, actually. Uh, before we head into that, other thoughts, anybody? All right, so it sounds like we just it's time for us to move forward. So let's head to Romans 8.17. All right, so let me do this. So it says in 8.17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God. So if we take that part of the sentence right there, and we hopefully have covered that in last week's uh, discourse. So we had a lot of understanding about what our inheritance was and how important that is. And we should know that our inheritance is due to God's sovereign choice of us being sons. It's not due to us making decisions about our destiny. It, we are chosen in him before the creation of the world. That is not anything we could have altered or enhanced or coerced. Or, <laughs> listen, you, there's no way you could be here right now were it not for God choosing you in Christ. So I can say that, and, we can, and the reason is because I can work backwards I can say, okay, I'm here, and I understand my calling. That means that God had to have chosen me. I was one of those he chose. And when we talk about being chosen, it's special. If God chose you, that means he didn't choose someone else. He didn't choose everybody. He chose some. And that's the uniqueness of being chosen. Uh, So, we covered a lot last week about inheritance, and my thought is that what you should do with that information is take some time to, to allow yourself to absorb it. We covered a lot of concepts and analogies that were given, and just know that the analogies tell of aspects of the relationship that we have with Christ. And all of that bears on the, what, what happened, which is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's our adoption to sonship. All of that hinges on the fact that God is the one who uh, baptized us. So now, he didn't baptize us in the Spirit in eternity past, before time began. He baptized, baptized us in the Spirit the moment we believed in Christ. So the classic scripture for that is obviously uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it talks about we were all baptized into one body, and he's talking about the body of Christ. And also Romans 6, uh, where it talks about uh, how we were, as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. So we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of him. so all of the adoption and all that that's how the how God made sons of us now no, no one could say oh he chose you in him and that's the reason why you know because the baptism of the Spirit did not exist but God knew it would exist. He knew how he was going to unite you uh, to his son so that you uh, would be a child uh, just and an heir and all of that. So part of it, I just want to turn to Ephesians chapter one, which is a common verse that we have covered a lot, but let's look at it again. One, three, praise be to God, to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, so you know what this is. When I the reason I'm reading this is because this speaks of our inheritance. Now this is a lofty verse for sure. It didn't say he's he, he's going to bless you with every earthly blessing, but he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So how how did that all that happen? why are you so blessed in this way verse 4 for he chose us in him there it is right there that's how you are uh, in Christ today he chose us in him before the creation of the world that's the other side of the uh, he could have said praise be to God for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then he could have told us, yeah, so that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He could have went it, he could have took it and turned it backwards. But it's fine that he left it this way because we know how we're blessed and why we're blessed. And we must say the blessing is not we have to stop thinking of of this as, uh, you know, we you know we sit on a pot of gold, or you know, like you know, people find treasures and and you know, and they searched all their lives for it, and finally they find it, and now they're sitting on all this gold and coins, and they're just throwing them in the air, or and they're just so rich and blessed, and they can do anything they want, and that is not the thought here. If you are united to the person of Christ, you're chosen to be in him, and he's the head. This is a matter of responsibility. You have to look at this blessing as, yes, you're blessed, but for a reason. God has a purpose for you. It's not just to sit around and think about how great you are or what your attributes are. You have a role to play in the eternal state, just like God has a role to play. There's that one scripture in Colossians 1 where it talks about Christ as the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created, and so forth. So if you keep reading down in Colossians, it says that in him all things consist or are held together. So Christ is the very glue. He's the creator. But the creation is not something that could just be abandoned. But it needs its creator. The, what the creation needs rightfully is its creator. To sustain it. To uphold it. To, to keep it together. To keep it functioning. So that is the omnipotence of the Son. Whose power is expended to uphold the creation. We are united to the son. So when you think about the responsibility that the son has, we will also share in that. That's why it talks about us inheriting all things. All things are yours, right? It speaks about it that way. So Christ is spoken of as an agent of the father, right? Through him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and visible. Well, Christ is functioning according to a plan. And remember, the plan was to bring many sons into glory. Obviously, creation had to happen first. So, I just wanted to make sure that you would spend some time thinking about what God did for you. And what that says about you. How special you are. How very uh, key and glorious God has given us this calling. I and mean, we, we should think about it every day from the standpoint of, of how we have been blessed. Now we didn't talk about the other side of it. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we're just going to briefly touch on it. Because uh, there's two sides of this. And and I don't want to just forget about the other side. i just make sure we mention it. So in 118, it says, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And that's what we focused on last time. And, And what is that? The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So, We spoke about why it's called riches. We we dealt with that. Hopefully, if there's any questions about what it is and all of that, we should be able to at least identify that in our minds. Verse 19. And so it's not just that part of it. There's something that goes along with that. And it's his incomparably great power for us Who believe. That power. And he's going to describe it. So there's two things. So there's the inheritance. But it is also. That we are elevated. By the power. That we also receive. By virtue of this position that we're in. So let's talk about it. Because that power. Is the same. Or is like. We could use an analogy. But I'm not going to. Create the analogy, God's gonna create it for us. So he says, here here's his analogy for what that power is like. That power is the same as the might as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Now we should notice this is the Father's doing. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. So, Christ is the God man. So, Christ can't be raised anywhere. The person, the, the Christ in his deity, he's already God. There's no, there is no raising him up anywhere. He's already at the place of the highest uh, that he could possibly be as God. But as man, Christ in hypostatic union, Christ as the God man who can. Uh, have consciousness and two natures. He has consciousness and human nature and consciousness and divine nature. One person is elevated to this place. Okay, so that's what he's talking about when he says he raised him uh, from the dead, right? So let's, where is it said? Here. Uh, and it's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength. He exerted. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So, when he starts talking about, well, that in and of itself is, is awesome to think about. But then when you look at verse 21, it goes into further description of it. Far above, not above, far above. All rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So when you think about the height to which he has been raised, that place that he's describing is the place of God. You can't imagine what's over all rule and authority. What's over all rule and authority? God is power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only now but any future age any future time to come so that's the place of God so so who are we talking about Christ right that's what he's but remember this is just an analogy about Christ but he's really talking about you us we have been raised to this place far not just above not just like here's ain't here's man and then angels are you know a little bit more higher than man no this is not in that arena at all this is outside far above all all rule and authority and there are some powerful angels that god has created so that's when he talks about principalities and powers rule and authority, power and dominion. He's talking about angels. But in the way he's talking about it is far above that. So we're already elevated to the place of God. And if you want to see what, and it says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Um, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the church is one with Christ. So, so Christ rules all things. He's in that place. And the church is right there. Who, we complete him. He completes his role in the universe as creator. I hear some background noise, and maybe we could ask if... Uh, those who joined to put their phone on mute. Thank you. So if you want to know where that is, how high that is, here's where you go. Ephesians 2. So right after that, he talks about we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But look at verse uh, 5. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. So, this is telling us that our salvation, the moment we believe in Christ, we're saved. But beyond that, not just simultaneously, something else happens to us. The moment we believe in Christ, we are also identified with the person of Christ. So, it was what it means made us alive with Christ. That's the baptism of the Spirit. That happens the moment we believe in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. So we went from a state of being dead in transgressions, but not just that, but we were lost, unrighteous, all that in spiritual death that he mentioned above. We went from that status to being seated, here it is, uh, with him in the heavenly realms. So... so, uh, 5 says, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So your salvation comes with the baptism of the Spirit. These things happen simultaneously. And what does that result in? And verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So this tells you when it talks about far above all the rule and authority and all that well this is what you can relate that to about us how how we the moment we are saved we are seated now this is all part of our inheritance as we said this is all part of grace you didn't choose it and you didn't have to earn this and you don't deserve it so this is all sovereign grace that puts you in this position in Christ, in heavenly realms, right? Far above, and I could say, it, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that could ever that was named in any, even now, or any future title. You are in the place where you are seated with Him in the heavenly realms. And then, verse seven: In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What's the riches of his grace again? He's talking about our full inheritance. And it is by grace that we receive that inheritance. So we don't earn that. That is not something. That's every single person. Imagine that. The, and what well, we saw it in another place in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, if any man is in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, then what? You are a new creation. Old things have passed. New things have come. So that's just the moment a person believes in Christ for salvation. All of this happens because of the sovereign grace of God and choosing him from eternity past to be in Christ. So that's an amazing thing that happened. I mean, we need to think about it, talk about it, and we need to make sure that we understand it so that it is, this is a glorious thing. This is not a hard thing for us to understand. This is a glorious mystery. And God is pleased to allow us to not only the knowledge of it, but the wisdom of it. So that's where it says that this is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. This is for us. So back to Romans. Just wanted to make sure we understood the second part of it, and we'll hopefully we got enough time to to look at this piece of it. So back to Romans eight. Okay. Uh, so a couple things to think about. Uh, so now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. So then. So hopefully we understand that, and if there's any questions, please, please, that's where we want to be, not just questions, but we want to be in discussion about it. And then it says, and, which is a big and, because we've got two things going on in this verse, it's not just heirs of God, but we are co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ. And we're not heirs of Christ, we're heirs of God, that's God the Father. And we're not uh, j- uh, heirs of Christ. We we are joint heirs. So the position that Christ is in, he's an heir. He's the son, just like we are. But he's the original son. We are in him, so that's that's where we get our sonship status from, being in Christ. Right? So anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Christ is the original son, we are baptized or identify with him through the baptism of Spirit. So co heirs or joint heirs means we are alongside we stand next to Christ. So what Christ was able to suffer and receive glory, we are able in the same way to suffer for him and receive glory. So it says, we are co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ, and then there's a condition given, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So what we, some people would say, well, this is all the same thing, right? You're heir if you suffer. and They, they don't even think about the and they, as making it two things. They say it's just one. So, couple things we'll go through right The first one is we are children. So this is sort of an equation well children is equal to heirs. heirs is equal to heirs of God. And this is logical progression of understanding. So if we are children then we are heirs. If we're heirs, then we're heirs of God. And what does that mean to be heirs of God? It means we're heirs of the Father's plan. Remember, the Father's plan was to bring many sons into glory. And we're understanding the unfolding of how he brought these many sons into glory. How he did it. So the second thought would be, okay, that's the first thing. We already talked about that last week, the heirs. Now the second thought would be, and, the big and, which makes it two things in that one verse, co-heirs with Christ. If is the conditional clause, if indeed we share in his sufferings. So there are two things to consider here. Heirs, and that's number one, and two, co-heirs. Now, why can I say it's two? I'm going to say that if we go to Galatians, where it mentions it again, Galatians chapter four, if it was one thing, then Paul would need to be consistent in Galatians four. I'll show you. So if we look at, we start at Galatians four and we could start at verse six. Well, this is, well, we could start earlier four and we'll go to seven. Okay. So But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So this verse should be one that just jumps out at you. That, meaning in order that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Christ had to come and do the work that he did in order for us to to receive Adoption to sonship. Now we didn't. Look, we don't look at people. Don't look at the cross that way. They look at the cross. Yeah, he paid for our sins and you know salvation and wow, isn't that grand? He was, our sins were imputed to him and judged every sin we'd ever commit and so forth. Salvation plan, yes. But this verse says it's more than that. When the time has fully come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and He. We could have probably finish the rest of the sentence off by saying that he might provide salvation for everyone. But it doesn't say that. It says that we might receive adoption to sonship. And that ties in with, God doesn't really have two plans. He has one plan. And all of those parts of it are component parts of that one plan. It's not well, God has the salvation plan, but then he has the this plan. No, it's just one plan. And that's what it is, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And then let's keep going. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son in our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And we read the same thing in Ephesians, right? So he made those that same analogy, and he went down that road. But look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but God's child, right? And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, where's the part about if indeed we shall share share in his sufferings? It's not here. And the point is that I'm making is the fact that it's not there says that it's two things. Now, if, this were, if there were a condition for us being a son and an heir, he would need to tell us in Galatians as well as Ephesians. He couldn't leave it out in, in, in Galatians. He would have to say that we and God has also made you an heir, if indeed you share in his suffering. No, he doesn't say that. So I just wanted to make sure you understood why it's two. And here's a scripture just so you to boot, so you, so you can make sure if someone says, hey, how do you know it's not two things to consider here? and Galatians 4:7 to me brings it out. So what we have is Romans tells us more about some another subject which is the suffering in Christ. So then it says we will share in his glory. And what do we mean by his glory? It means his victory. The fact that Christ conquered, and, you know, he came into this world as a man and he humbled himself. In fact, that's where we want to go. Is Philippians just to make sure we understand Philippians chapter two, and I might go through quite a few verses quickly. So have your fingers ready. Philippians two, five through eleven. I'll read it. So in your relationships with one another. So this verse is given because of people becoming arrogant with one another, right? And he's trying to help people understand. Uh, where they are and what's important and he uses he goes into this analogy so he says rather uh well verse five he says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus so who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage now that's verse six Christ was literally equal with God when he was here. He but that remember we talked about the fact of when we sp- spoke about who Christ was. We said he was in John 1 1 it says beginning was the word, word was with God, Word was God. He was always God. Never was a time he wasn't. So in six we are seeing the fact that he, by very nature, is God. and But he did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now, if I were to go back to John 1, then I'd have to jump down to 14 where it says, And the word became flesh, and then he made his dwelling among us. He came to earth, the the word, the same one who was God, who can't change from being God, but he took on human nature. This is what this is saying. The very nature of a servant, and and not just human nature, but he was he he was submissive to the Father. And it says it right here. And being made in human likeness, he looked just like us. And being found in appearance as a man. This was the appearance that he had. His outward appearance was a man. Now, he were talking about God. But through what we call the incarnation, God was able to, uh, to bring the person of Christ into a human nature who became man. So... Uh, in hebrews chapter 10 is where we see christ speaking from heaven before he comes to earth he says a body you have prepared for me lo i come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will O god that's like hebrews 10 4 5 4 and 5 verse 5 so christ is saying I'm ready. The body's ready. I'm okay. Father, send me into the body. Now, he can't send the deity of Christ into the body. But he can send the person of Christ into the body. And that's what he did. So rather, he made himself nothing. So making himself nothing means taking the very nature of a servant. In other words, he took on human nature. So now we got someone who's equal with God on the one hand. And someone who took the very nature of a servant on the other. So he found an appearance of, as a man. What did he do? He became, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even to the point of death on the cross. Verse 9. As a result of that. That's Christ, the work that he did. Uh, remember, so when the time was fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive. rights as sons so now we are in this place that christ has we're identified with him in his death burial and resurrection so nine tells continues back to christ what happened with him therefore god exalted him to the highest place because he humbled himself became obedient even to the point of death and then uh, dying on the cross wasn't it he was judged for all of our sins and because of all of that Christ performed his work admirably God exalted him to the highest place gave him a name that is above every name and that at, and every and at the name of Jesus every knee should bow every uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father so there's Jesus receives glory. And why did he receive glory? Not because he was God, or that he was equal with God, but because in his incarnation, when he became a man, and how he responded while he was on the battlefield. He conquered. He suffered, for sure, but he gained the victory. So so it says in Colossians 2.15, right? Colossians chapter 2, and it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Christ, Christ, not only did he uh, receive the imputation of all the sins of every person that would ever be born on planet Earth, And he received that imputation, but then he received the judgment, the punishment from the justice of God for those sins. So that God turns around and says, uh, I'm propitiated by the work of Christ on my behalf, on our behalf, let's say. So when God thinks about the sins that Christ paid for, God the Father, the, the very sins he imputed to him, he says, Christ did it. It was successful. When I think about that, Christ is uh, successfully a propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. He stood in our place and God is now satisfied with the work of Christ. So we don't have to worry about sins anymore. Right? Now, not, not that they can't hinder you or slow you down, but sin can't separate God, you from God especially as you're saved. Your personal sins can't do it. So so anyway, so when we read this, we see that Christ won the victory. So when it says he was glorified, that means he actually achieved what God the Father had had planned for him. Christ kept talking about I got work to do, my hour's not yet come. He knew he was on God's timetable. He, he, he went to Jerusalem when he, it was time for him to go to Jerusalem. He did this. And, you know, he, he was ready. Uh, he says, let us go. Let's move because the prince of this world comes, but he doesn't have anything in me. I'm going to show the world that I love the Father. I'm doing exactly what he says. Christ was under orders when he was here. And it was God the Father, really, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, says 2 Corinthians and when we look, so when we look at all of this, what we come to realize is Christ got out of the way. He allowed the Father to manifest in him. He humbled himself, as it says in Philippians, and became obedient. Obedient to what? To the Father's plan. Even to the point of death on the cross. Now, we don't have to die on the cross. Uh, we're good when it comes to that. We... Because Christ died, we don't have to die. He was God the Father satisfied for my sins on from the work that he performed on my behalf i don't I don't have to go die for my sins, so that's not what God has for me, but what does God want me to do now He sends me into the world. we read that in John chapter seventeen right so I'll, I'll read it just just so we know what what is our destiny now, just like in The disciples, he says, um, verse 18, as you sent me into the world. So the father sent Christ into the world. Why? For a reason, for a purpose, a plan. Uh, I have sent them into the world. this is John 17, 18. So it's it's like you died and now you are seated. But then God says, I'm going to send you back into the world. But the life you live down there should be just like what happened to Christ. You should be humbled and obedient to the point of death, even if death is required of you down here in this world. Then you stay humble and you which means you allow Christ to manifest in you, to Christ to live the life in you. Like Paul says, for me to live it's Christ. So that's what you do. You you Used to humble and obedient to the Father's plan for us, and then just like in our verse here, we can receive glory with Christ if we suffer with Him. And how does He suffer? He suffered while He was here in the world. He never suffered as God. Right? God can't suffer. God, God is there's no suffering for God, but Christ became a man, and he was able to suffer for in our place. He was able to receive the imputation of our sins. God can't do that. And he was able to die. God can't do that. So what happens is, as a result of that, we can now share in his battlefield victories. So if you'd like to see some other scriptures, you could look at the seven churches in Revelation. He says, if you overcome, I will grant that you sit with me on my throne. If I will grant that you will have the hidden manna. I will grant that you will partake of the tree of life. I will grant, and he goes on and on. He has different things that he mentions as reward. To him that is overcome. First, I know your works, and he lays out what they are doing right. But he says, but I have this against you. I know I'm watching you, and this is what you do that you need to work on. But the one who overcomes, well, I grant. In other words, they. So overcoming is allowing Christ to walk and live in you. So that's important. Now, I won't read all the verses in Revelation, but 2 7 and 11 and 17 and Revelation 3 5 and 12 and 21 all talk about if we overcome. What will be the result of that? So a couple other thoughts. We're going to share in his glory. Well, when will Christ come in his glory? And this is when he comes back at the second advent and he sets up his kingdom. When he reigns. Well, that's when he's, he sets up his kingdom and he will rule. But he will also delegate rulership to those who have overcome. They will rule with him in his kingdom that is a part of the the millennium that's when christ will rule that's when he will receive glory the glory is that he's a over everything the the son of god right is is now uh, over all there is when it comes to human beings he's over the church right he's he's in authority over us and certainly over all angelic beings well he's over all things and this person will allow us to rule with him on the earth just like he conquered on the battleground this is the ground on which he will be rewarded one would be the reward the fact that he will be king and revelation bears that out he who overcome I will allow them to rule with me in my kingdom that's what he's saying that's the reward. But now there's other things to consider. A couple other things about suffering, then we're going to quit. So suffering is, it's our privilege. So, I mean, just think, we, always, we talked about grace and what tremendous things. Astronomically, uh, we're not just ordinary people, we're extraordinary people people it's very special and who we are because of our calling talks about the riches of his grace and all this stuff that's tremendous to think about well what can you do what what does that say it doesn't really say anything about your quality the quality of your character it doesn't because it's grace god chose you you didn't ask to be chosen you didn't vie for that god did it Automatically, he chose you. I don't know why he chose you, and we can't know why he chose us because he wanted to. That's what we could say. He wanted to cho- choose us. It wasn't I can't say. I, well, I'm especially good, or uh, he knew that I was going to make a great son. He, I can't tell you what went into him choosing me, and you can't either. It says all we can say is is his sovereign choice. So. The only thing that we could say to God is that we can make decisions. We realize the great thing He has done for us is that we could be appreciative that not only He saved us, but that He chose us to such high position. So we could be grateful for that and thankful, appreciative, so that we seek to identify with christ in his sufferings so there's a couple of scriptures to to note in this and i want to turn to a few uh, so, so it is a privilege to suffer this is the point so romans chapter 5 3 because it also says to god thank you thank you for what you've done for me i appreciate it now, you can't say thank I mean, even if you never said thank you to salvation, you still have it in total. You still have your calling, your inheritance, all of that in total. But rewards now. Say back to God, I appreciate what you did. It's like the verse in 2 Corinthians uh, 9. Thanks be to God for his, his priceless gift. Even whatever decisions we make for God uh, to allow Christ to live in us, if we did all that, that still is nothing compared to what God has done for us. We're not paying God back in it in any way. And even in verse 18, the verse we're going to hit next week in Romans, where we're in eight, 8.18, where it says, I consider... That the present sufferings that we have are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be in us. not worth. So don't think of it like, well, wow, I'm paying God back for what he did for me. You can't pay him back. It's his sovereign choice and there's nothing you can do about it. but what you can do is say to God, I want to say that. I do want to say thank you to you. And how do you do it? You're suffering. Suffering with Christ. Christ suffered and gained glory. God has given you to be a joint heir with Him and the opportunity to suffer, and also, be glorified together with Him. That's what the verse says. So five three is where I want to go. He says this is after we're saved, right? Well, we could go back to one. Therefore, five one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom uh, we have gained access by faith into this grace in in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The hope. We are saved now. boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now watch how that happens, though. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, to glory in your suffering mean, means we're happy to be suffering. And I told you, it's a privilege to suffer with Christ. So we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope does not put us to shame, does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So notice what we need to get that love to be poured out in our hearts. We need hope. And how do you get the hope? Well, it comes through suffering when when you are tried, and that uh, when God is so... uh, gelled the hope in your heart that it becomes solid and it becomes a reason for living and then comes the love the reciprocal love and now we see that God loved us and we were just talking about how much he loved us to be, to choose us in him into this marvelous plan so that's Romans 5 3, notice the progression. Of suffering and how we glory in it. And then there's Philippians 1.29, which is the classic verse. But first of all, as I'm turning to Philippians 1.29, you should know that there is a lot of suffering scriptures. Did I cover them all? Absolutely not. So you should have a lot of fun with this. You can find a lot more scriptures than this. I'm only touching the tip of the iceberg. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, that would be salvation, but also to suffer for him. Now that's, that, that talks about the privilege of suffering for Christ. We are very special. And this suffering is identifying with Christ and his suffering not only can we identify with Christ and his death, burial and resurrection, but now we have the privilege of being identified with him and his suffering and it's granted to us, not just to believe but also to suffer. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. So the the the, the, Philippi, the Philippians were in tune with the Apostle Paul. And they are also going, because anybody who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So the Philippians were, were suffering in the same way that Paul was. They were identified. They were identified with Paul and his suffering. And there's other scriptures that talk about that. Join with me in suffering for the... With Christ, and then we also should see suffering in another way—not just as a privilege, as it's been granted to us, but we should see suffering as part of our spiritual growth. In Hebrews, Hebrews, uh, here it is. Uh, let me turn to it. Hebrews chapter twelve, and we we could start at one, really. So it says, therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So these are decisions that we make, remember? Perseverance, run, right? This is the race. And then verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So that's how we run the race. We allow, our, we Set our mind on things in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we run. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is what he did. He's scorning its shame. This is the suffering that he went through on our behalf. It was shameful. And he had to endure the cross. It wasn't easy for Christ to, to suffer For our sins. And it was shameful. Belittling. Of who he. Not only is it belittling for anyone. It's insulting. But he was the creator of all things. So for him it was extra. Belittling. The fact that they were spit in the creator's face. Imagine that. And he did not revile. He did not return evil for evil. He did not lose it. Good thing, good, I, good thing it, was, it didn't happen to me. We don't have to go through the cross, but we can go through suffering just like he did. This is what he did uh, before us. He, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. See, So stop and think about it that he did this for us. And when we think about, yeah, he paid for all of our sins, that we also might have the adoption to sonship. That's what he did this for. He had to go through this in order to get to the point where we could be united with him in the baptism of the Spirit. And that's the plan. That's the Father's plan. So let's consider him he endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, become discouraged by the world. All the pressures and people trying to get you to conform to the world and to be like everyone else. Verse 4, and your struggle against sin, right? That's that sin that so easily besets you. right? Because sin will slow you down. Getting involved entangled in the world will slow you down. So in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of death. Shedding your blood means death. And Christ did. But he's telling these Hebrew Christians, you struggled, but you could get to the place of martyrdom. That's what that could happen. And you have, verse 5, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as... Um, addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So this is part of our spiritual growth. It says everyone, not some, But notice what it is for. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, again he mentions it, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more shall we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought it best. But God disciplines us for our good and for, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful suffering. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And here it is, for those who have been trained by it. All these words could just take some time to think about them. And just think, it's, uh, it's related to our spirit. Suffering is a part of our spiritual growth. Last scripture we will turn to tonight, and we'll quit is first corinthians 9 which you know very well after he talks about giving the gospel and how it is rewarding in and of itself and i trust everyone here has given the gospel to someone and and you know the great reward that's already built in that but then he turns the conversation to another thought Uh, after and that starts in verse 24 do you not know that in the race all the runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training we talked about the training right they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it what do we do we go into strict training right so that it will we'll get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. there is something there is some way we can say thank you to god and we i just might as well just say for we must all appear at the judgment seat of christ that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body so we're going to have to quit i'm looking at the hour and uh we'll continue next week with Romans eight 18. Let's bow our heads. Thank you Father again as we contemplate suffering and think about the privilege of being joint heirs with Christ and being able to suffer with him and, and share in his suffering so that we also can share in the glory that will be his. Thank you for the privilege. It is an honor to be chosen in this manner and have this fantastic inheritance that is riches unsearchable. We thank you for those who are here on this call, those are listening. We pray for each person that they will come to the full knowledge of the truth, that they will be mature and. Reach the fullness and stature of Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.